0: submitted we'll hear argument next in number 02-1238 uh, Nixon versus Missouri Municipal League and Missouri Municipal League against uh, Southwestern Bell I guess Mr. Feldman.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This case concerns 47 U.S.C. Section 253A, which preempts state laws that prohibit or have the effect of prohibiting the ability of any entity to provide telecommunications services. Now, it's common ground that Section 253A preempts state laws that keep private firms from the telecommunications market. The question presented is whether the law also reaches into the structure of state government and invalidating even a State statute that declines to grant the State's political subdivisions the authority to provide telecommunications. In Gregory against Ashcroft, this Court held that Federal statutes should not be construed to intrude on core areas of State sovereignty unless Congress has made its intent to do so clear. Now, in our tradition, political subdivisions are creatures of the State, and they have the authority and only the authority that the State has granted them. Under respondents' interpretation, Section 253A would be a sharp and unprecedented break with that tradition, because it would be a grant of power by the Federal Government to political subdivisions of powers that the State, which was hitherto the sole source of their authority. I think that's right. It wouldn't be a grant of power. It would be, it would preserve power
2: granted by the State itself.
1: Well, I don't even, I'm not even sure whether that's true. That actually goes into another difficulty in construing the uh, statute the way the Court of Appeals did. Some states create their political subdivisions or some political subdivisions and say you have only the authority that we've given you. And it's not other states create political subdivisions and say you have any authority you want except The only only thing I'm questioning is your statement that the statute
2: itself is a grant of power to a local entity. It doesn't grant any power to anybody. Well,
1: I think
2: it preserves power from being preempted.
1: Well, perhaps it's a question of semantics, but, uh, but, but, the, but the, 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 the issue here is that in Missouri, political subdivisions do not have the authority to provide telecommunication services. Under the Court of Appeals ruling, the statute that, 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 that reaches that result is preempted and therefore they do have that authority. In any event, that would be a sharp break with the tradition that, because it would be Congress specifying what the authority of a political subdivision is, even when a state has chosen not to give it that authority.
3: Is, is it your view that in all instances we must interpret this statute so that any entity, that phrase, does not include a local
1: subdivision of the state? yes. Because under the Gregory rule, if you, if the court were to construe the statute so that it did include political subdivisions, it would be an intrusion into state sovereignty. It would be under the circumstances of this
3: case. Are there other circumstances in which it would not intrude on the right of the state to allocate powers between itself and the localities so that this statute, so that this interpretation would have effect in some other instance
1: the other kind i can't imagine cases and i'm not aware that any have come up in the cases that have addressed the the question presented here uh where there's some other restriction that a state has passed that has nothing to do with political subdivisions and the question might arise whether a political subdivision could challenge that that provision of state law as well as a private uh party and but however since the court is in the business here of construing the statute and the question is what is the wor- meaning of the word any entity uh I think, under the Gregory rule, that that term has to exclude political subdivisions, and if it excludes it here, I think there's no.
4: Mr. Feldman, do we need to
5: apply the clear statement rule of Gregory versus Ashcroft for you to prevail?
1: I think it's our understanding. It's our understanding that the rule would apply here. Um, I guess the rule applies for the reasons I've already given, which is this is an intrusion on state sovereignty. If that were not the case, the question would be whether a general term, uh, like the term any entity, right. is whether that would just naturally be construed to extend so far or whether it wouldn't. Exactly. Um, and I would say that it raises the question that I was, uh, uh, the, the problem that I was referring to before in responding to Joseph Stevens, which is state, the, the application of 253A would depend on the form in which a state chooses to give or not give its power to its political subdivisions if it was a state a home rule state where the c- cities have all the powers except what's expressly denied them then a state that tried to pull back the power to provide telecommunications that would be preempted in another state Are
6: those home rule states uh, established in that fashion by the state constitutions
1: I think so, at some time.
6: In which case, the language of uh, Section 253A, which says no state or local statute or regulation or other state or local legal requirement may prohibit or have
1: the effect of prohibiting. I'm not sure that, that would reach a constitution. It would at least be a di- difficult question to try to figure out whether there is still something that prohibits or has the effect of prohibiting rather than something which just never granted the authority before. You could consider a political subdivision of a State that's a special purpose water district or fire prevention district that just doesn't have the authority, was never intended to have the authority, and nothing in State law suggests that it should have the authority to provide telecommunications. It would be hard to find something that should be preempted in that case.
4: So suppose you didn't give that very broad meaning to any entity, but you included state entities that had been in the business and were otherwise authorized by state law to go into this business. And then the state changes its law and without having this uh, Section B requirement, uh, because you have loads of power under Section B, so we assume the entity meets uh, Section B's test. Uh, but it passes another law which says, by the way, the municipality can't go into it. And previously they had. So, so we're not, we're, we're talking about only entities that have proved themselves fit, willing, and able to offer the, the to offer the business.
1: Now, I, why, I why would that not be included? I, I don't think it, because I, I think that there's, it's very difficult to imagine that Congress intended that the, the, uh, scope of this statute should turn on the exact historical steps by I which it No, but what we want, added, we want, they, it,
4: we're, we're, we have implicitly there, and it would be necessary in the state case, but not in the private enterprise case, a, an entity that is fit, willing, and able. And, and, and an entity that is fit, willing, and able can include a municipality. So what this statute is after, is the state passing a new law changing the status of an entity that was
1: previously fit willing and able but i guess what i was responding to was it's not cl- the the definition of what a political subdivision is fit willing and able to do is something that it is a creature of state law it's defined by state law by the state laws that, that that's before, correct but it's it's, it's defined law. by
4: state and regulatory law in respect to those
1: uh uh, entities, at least, that have previously offered the business? I think uh, there's actually very few. Before 1996, I think there were very few, and I'm not aware of uh, examples, and there, there may be a few in the amicus briefs. There are very, very few entities in this country, uh, political subdivisions, that offer telecommunication services. This is a but question that has only arisen
4: what's... in other words but your argument here is coming down to the difficulty of trying to draw the distinction i'm
1: suggesting i think that i think part of my argument is the difficulty of drawing that Mm -hmm. distinction but the most important part of it is that this is an intrusion into a state's understanding of its government and what it wants to do with its authority if if the
7: statute were clear if it said public it said any entity, public or private, so would you, you're, you're making an argument now that seems to say no matter how clear this was, there would still be a vulnerability.
1: No, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think there would be interpretive problems that would arise in the statute if it had said, uh, specified any public, any governmental entity or something like that that really would have clearly referred to states and political subdivisions well, it wouldn't, that would wouldn't have been an, any
7: any entity public or private wouldn't that do
1: i think it's likely that that would do um the problem here is that any entity is just the kind of general term without the the, the reference to public or private or without specific references to state governments and uh, political subdivisions it's just the kind of general term that this court referred to in regor and said that where there's a clear statement rule, well, that kind of general term is not sufficient to overcome it and here there's nothing in the statute uh, that suggests that Congress thought about, considered and intended to put into question the issue of state sovereignty that would be ra- — the, the intrusion on state sovereignty that would be raised by construing 230, uh, 253A the way the Court of Appeals did. Beyond the statute itself, in the legislative history, there's, there's a uh, — the committee report repeatedly refers to the private sector deployment of advanced telecommunications as what the bill is designed to achieve. Not only that, the floor debates, uh, they're cited in, I think, Southwestern Bell's uh, reply brief, so also people consistently referring to the private sector development of advanced telecommunications. Is it, isn't it a, also me,
2: the case? Let me ask you this more, more sort of general question. As I understand your theory, you read the statute as an anti-monopoly statute. No state shall grant any exclusive privilege, isn't it? You say that's really what it does. And my question is, if that were at purpose, why wouldn't they write it that way? that no state shall grant a monopoly or grant exclusive privilege?
1: Well, it actually is broader than that. There is another provision which says — I don't remember the number — which says there can't be exclusive franchises. This is intended to get at laws not only that would, by terms, an exclusive franchise or keep a particular company out of the telecommunications business, but also that would have the effect of doing that by imposing high taxes on one co- category of, of, uh, of participants rather than on another category. Uh, 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 there's, there the um, In fact, in the Texas case that came before this, the Federal Communications Commission found a couple of provisions of Texas law preempted because they did just that. And the statute was designed, it is an anti-monopoly law, but it is a little bit broader than just granting exclusive franchises. It's also favoring one and one, one, one company or one class of company or the incumbent telephone company over other new entrants into the field. Um, respondents <coughs> cite the, uh, uh, lead de- the B. Deadwood case uh, as the closest that they can come to this. And I'd just like to point out that that case has a dramatically different uh, uh, question than the one here. In that case, there was no question of uh, the federal government giving authority to local, uh, to political subdivisions that the state itself had not, had not given. That case would be much closer to this case if, for example, the state there had said, we don't want our political subdivisions to be providing education because we do that at the state level. And then the political subdivision had taken the federal money that was at issue there and said, we want to open up a you know, local university or something. At least that would have presented the question that's presented here of an intrusion of that sort on state sovereignty. But that wasn't before the Court there, and therefore the Court didn't apply a clear statement rule.
7: What is the United States' position about um, utilities, public utilities, electric companies?
1: Well, I'm not sure what you mean. If you mean by public utilities, companies to, to are in the business. To enter
7: this business?
1: P- yes, they certainly can. P- privately owned companies are Suppose in the utility it's, business. It
7: it's — mixed ownership, city and private.
1: The Federal Communications Commission's position is if under state law it's treated as a private entity, the fact that stock, some or even all of the stock is owned by the political subdivision wouldn't be, a, it would still be an entity. It would be, if it's treated under state law as a private, uh, co- company. In this case, the uh, FCC looked at Missouri law and determined, I think correctly it hasn't been challenged here, that this is simply a law that prevents political sub- subdivisions as political subdivisions from providing telecommunication services and therefore since it's really operating on the political subdivision itself, not on some other corporation, uh, it's not preempted. I'd like to reserve the balance of my time.
0: Very well, Mr. Feldman. Uh, Mr. Multaney, we'll hear from you.
5: Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the Court. The Eighth Circuit interprets entity to include political subdivisions of the states. And that would mean that Congress has — it would have the effect of Congress giving Missouri's political subdivisions authority that the the very State that created them has withheld. And that would intrude drastically on the structure of State government. A general language term like entity is too broad to meet the Gregory test because it doesn't clearly and unmistakably include State subdivisions. If the general term entity, without a contextual compass, as it appears in 253a, satisfies the clear and unmistakable test, then clear and unmistakable really has little meaning. But that standard is important to the States because it gives the States some notice and opportunity to react to proposed legislation that may intrude on State sovereignty. And it requires Congress to be clear in the wording that it uses and to demonstrate cognizance of the impact of legislation On state sovereignty. Why isn't any entity clear? I mean, what? Justice Scalia, what do they have to say to make any any
6: entity clear? And we really mean it, or it has to say any entity
5: whatsoever. Would that be clear? Justice Scalia, there are no magic words, and we're not asserting that there are magic words that need to be there. There has to be some terminology within the statute that that, make, that demonstrates that Congress was cognizant it intended to intrude on state government. There are other ist- instances, and I think Southwestern Bell's brief does a nice job pointing out that entity is used 600 and sometimes in various statutes. It's used multiple times even in the Telecommunications Act, oftentimes with a modifier, sometimes without, and oftentimes with a definition. And sometimes the definition is one that w- includes just a business context, and sometimes the definition is one that includes government and public and state uh, it sub- is er, perfectly
2: clear that this statute does intrude substantially on the on the state's ability to regulate. Just even if it just does what you say, it's a, a significant impairment of the
5: state's ability to run its own affairs. It's a significant, Justice Stevens. It's a significant uh, restriction on the state's ability to to, to regulate private commerce. companies. But this court's held. In the Gregory v. Ashcroft case, that Congress has to use more than the general language, it has to be clear and unmistakable in Justice Stevens, in in, in the uh, the Ledwood case that, uh, that that Mr. Feldman brought up your the dissent that, that you wrote affirms some of the principles that, that we 've cited in our brief regarding hunter and uh, and the city of Trenton case that the state 's control the, the creations that they have, they, they've, that they've made, all their political subdivisions, and, and, and that is, is something that this Court has always honored.
0: You're it's, saying that it's one thing for the federal government to supersede state regulation substantively, uh, but another thing to say, to, to tell the state, not only do we do that, but we're going to
5: change the relationship you have with your local subdivision. That's exactly right, Mr. Chief Justice. That's exactly right.
4: Suppose they, they did. Is it totally Ashcroft you're relying on, Gregory B. Ashcroft? The, suppose you looked at this statute as saying it doesn't prohibit states from enacting all kinds of laws that have the effect of prohibiting people to enter the business. Tax laws, for example, might leave them without money to do it. It's only talking about specific laws aimed at saying you can't enter. And if it's aimed at specific laws saying you can't enter this business, then couldn't you say, where a state's entity otherwise would have the authority to enter, then the state cannot pass a law that says in those circumstances you cannot enter telecommunications, such as municipality as well as private company. Now, what's wrong with that interpretation? What I'm doing is I'm trying to deal with what I thought of myself, and they affirm as the major objection that this can't be administered once we start down the path I'm just starting down.
5: Justice Breyer, I think it would create an anomalous situation where if a state's political subdivisions had been providing telecommunications prior to 1996, they would be treated differently under the — under 253a. No, VA. no,
4: it would be — the question would be whether they had the authority to do it. If they had the authority to do it, then the State, what it could not do is it could not pass a law which aims at primarily, aims at primarily their authority to enter telecommunications. They could do all kinds of other things, including removing authority, as long as it were general. And then there would be middle cases where the authority, you see, is
5: but I, I still think, just as square that, what that does is it make, it divides the states into two categories and makes the Federal statute treat the states in two different ways, so that if a state had granted authority prior to 1996, they they, they may never, that state's never allowed to change like its mind one about, ratchet. about the scope of authority that it grants its own political subdivisions.
6: I, suppo- I suppose mm-hmm. it would also allow states to uh, adopt uh, a system of chartering corporations, which charters the corporations according to various categories, uh, mining, um, manufacturing, and it just does not happen to name mm-hmm. the category of telecommunications. Yeah. And that would not be touched by uh, by this type of an interpretation, enabling the state to create a monopoly, uh, mm-hmm. well, to, to exclude uh, any, any telecommunication company.
5: Justice Scalia, I believe that I agree with you, although I, I think the more and more we talk about what states authorize and don't authorize their political subdivisions to do, to do the, the more and more that becomes really the uh, a state issue and, and, and really what I, what I would call an intramural issue that would, that would be a matter litigated between the states and their political subdivisions at the state court level. And what, what I really think this case is about is an application of 253A that because of the general language that, the, that Congress used, won't be presumed and, and cannot meet the clear and unmistakable standard in Gregory to, in, to, to allow or at least have the effect of, of Congress's intruding into the structure of state government.
3: So suppose that, uh, that this, a state says that no political subdivision in this state uh, shall um, have a telecommunication facility that does interactive television and less uh, the uh, carrier that it contracts with pays the city a fee of a $1 million. Could the state do that? I, I believe... And you'd say, th- th- in th- other th- words, it's conditioning the ability of its subdivisions to engage in this by demanding that it ex- extract certain financial cons- uh, considerations and suppose that this is prohibitive
5: If, if the State were addressing that in terms of the, to the private sector, I don't think there would be, I'm, I'm not sure I understand exactly where your question is going, Justice Kennedy, but the, could, could the, the State can't create barriers to entry to private sector well, competitors. Suppose, suppose That's clearly preempted by the Commerce Clause. and uh, and, and it's specifically by 253a and, and i think it, what, what what that derives from if, if one looks at the purpose of the federal telecommunications act of 1996 and you look at the, the the history of what was going on i mean huge swatches of the country were provided service by regional bell operating companies and they were granted the exclusive franchise in, in, in areas and the, and the whole purpose of the 96 act was to uh, accelerate private sector deployment and, and to to take these, these swatches of territory that regional Bell operating companies maintain monopolies on and encourage private sector deployment and people to come in and utilize um, either those the, the, the facilities that, that were provided that, that exist that the regional Bell operating companies had or unbundled network elements or to, 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 to resell and, and hopefully even the encouragement of, of building their own facility space. But that's all, that, that all ends up being red herring discussion in terms of the clear language of 253A, because 253A uses those general terms. Now, the FCC's reading of entity won't bar states from entering commercial phone business through their, through their political subdivisions, because the FCC's reading allows that states who want to go into the phone business, they'll be able to do that. But states like Missouri that want their political subdivisions focused on core missions will be able to make that choice if this Court allows the FCC's reading.
7: Do we know how many States allow their municipalities to enter this business?
5: How many states allow their yes. own?
7: In other words, you're arguing for a position. It's up to the state; they can let the municipalities enter or not, as they choose. So, in, in fact, what has happened across the country?
5: Justice Ginsburg, I, I do not know that. I have not surveyed which states allow their political subdivisions to uh, to enter the commercial phone business, and, and which, like Missouri, have made that choice to have, have made the choice to have their their political subdivisions focus on their core missions. Another problem that's created with the respondents' uh, reading of of entity is that it literally means the state cannot regulate itself. And that that, that creates an anomaly, and it it doesn't make a lot of linguistic sense or a lot of public policy, policy sense. The clear and unmistakable standard requires more of Congress than this use of general language. And where there is doubt, states are entitled to the benefit of that doubt. If the court has no further questions, Missouri would respectfully request that the court reverse the Eighth Circuit and preserve the ability of the state of Missouri to determine the functions of its own political subdivisions.:
0: Thank you, Mr. Multaney. Uh, Mr. Strauss will hear from you.
8: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Uh, our position in this case is straightforward, and I can state it very simply. Gregory against Ashcroft applies in circumstances where the statutory language is ambiguous. The court has said that three times, including in Gregory itself. And the language of 253A, any entity, is not ambiguous. It's not, it's not as if Congress had said, for example, any corporation, which might leave some doubt whether Congress meant only private corporations and not municipal corporations. It
4: doesn't mean any fish, for example. I mean, there are a lot of things it doesn't mean.
8: Um, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I guess it doesn't mean any fish, Justice Breyer, but of the, uh, I think it has a very broad meaning. I well, think it means any entity. And well, when, when you, when you say, uh, the statute has to be
0: ambiguous, the Gregory rule is put forth in the opinion is that there has to be a clear statement, uh, covering the federal, uh, fed, federal aspect of the thing. And it seems to me that, uh, that, uh,
8: cuts away from the idea it has to be ambiguous. What um, the court the court said in Gregory that the statute has to be ambiguous and it reiterated that in Salinas and more recently in Yesky. Um, depends on what you mean by, by ambiguous. Uh,
6: what, what, the, the, the language in Gregory was was employees, wasn't
8: it? Well the unambiguous language in Gregory was employee. The ambiguous language was at the policy making level. In Gregory itself, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important point, Justice Glee. In Gregory itself, the Court thought it was unambiguous that employee, state employee, included state judges. Now, it seems to me linguistically to say that state employee includes state judges is more of a stretch than saying any entity includes local governments. But and that was viewed Of as course,
6: you're, you're, you're into state already. I mean, the, the state versus non-state is, was not at issue in Gregory it was just how far into the state you go i mean it was the whole thing applied to state uh, state employees but not at the policy making level what about uh, a, a tascadero uh the the language there was any recipient of
8: federal assistance yes yeah, so a tascadero justice scalia i think the court has applied a different stronger much stronger form of a clear statement rule in the state sovereign immunity cases where it has required specificity in the court's work. I think there are various levels of of clear statement rules. Well I think the the, the best illustration of that is the contrast between the Court's decision in Rhaegor and the Court's um, decision in Jinx, which have the advantage of focusing on exactly the same statutory language, any claim asserted in the supplemental jurisdiction statute. In Rhaegor the issue was whether that language overrode state sovereign immunity, and the Court said no in jinx the question was whether that language overrode a state's decision to immunize its subdivisions and the court said yes it did the same language jinx is the case like this in fact jinx is more of an intrusion because the congress was taking away a power that the state wanted to confer and the locality wanted to have and the court just very unanimously and with no difficulty said Congress can do that with the language any claim asserted. Rigor was a state sovereign immunity question. The court analyzed it differently. And I think that makes the point that the kind of rigor the court expected in cases like Atascadero does not apply in Gregory cases. In Gregory cases, if it's unambiguous, that's the end of the case. Does
3: the word any entity cover the state itself?
8: Yes, I think it covers the state itself. So Um, if
3: the governor is about to sign a contract to, to allow the state to enter into
8: communications facilities and the legislature instructs
3: them not to, that statute's void?
8: No, that statute's not void, Justice Kennedy. I think that statute, analytically, that situation is exactly the same as if a board of directors of a private corporation decided not to go into the telecommunications business and the CEO defied it and the solution is the state can say under our neutral principles of corporate governance the ceo can't do that not because the corporation well, why don't is not neutral
3: mandated. principles of corporate governance applied to the relations between the state and its subdivisions well, they, suppose they, there's a constitutional provision
8: they absolutely do if they are truly neutral principles if it's a provision of state law that says for example subdivisions may not engage in any commercial activity, and there's no argument that that's just a subterfuge to keep them out of telecommunications. It's a truly neutral provision. States can absolutely enforce that.
3: But you say that it can't be made precise to telecommunications. That's right. Competitive- that was my example in the state hypothetical, in the, the first
8: hypothetical. Well, the, what's, what's operating there is the general rule that governors have to do what the state legislature tells them to do. Well,
3: here's what's operating. The general rule is that subdivisions have to do what the state tells them to do.
8: Well, when this, what I
3: don't st- see why the general rule applies in one instance and not the other, given your definition of entity.
8: Because in the in the case like this one, what the state has done is to enact a specific, targeted rule, not competitively neutral. That issue, strictly speaking, not before the court yet. Um, a, a, a targeted rule that keeps an entity out of the telecommunications business, and a municipality is an entity in the same way that a private firm is an entity. Congress's language was any entity. That language is simply not conclusive. Yeah, but Regor had any entity, too, and we said that was not conclusive there. Regor said any claim. That's right, uh, That's right, Mr. Chief Justice. Um, but Regor was a case decided in the shadow of state sovereign immunity. The Court said a constitutional doubt was created by principles of state sovereign immunity. Um, as, I, as I said to Justice Scalia, Jinks interpreted exactly the same language, any claim to be sufficient to allow Congress to deprive local governments of an immunity that states wanted to grant them, but
6: well, that was not the only. Difference. No, I mean, the, there were other was, factors in Jenks besides besides just the language.
0: And al- the also plan. the fact that sovereign immunity had never extended the uh, state Eleventh Amendment immunity had never uh, uh, had extend,
8: never been extended to counties. Well, that's of course right, Mr. Chief Justice, and in fact that is the reason I want to take exception with the picture painted by petitioners that what uh, our position here would lead to some dramatic unprecedented intrusion on State authority. It's actually quite familiar for Federal law to interfere, quote-unquote, with relations between State and local governments. Section 1983 imposes liability on local Those are all
3: under the Fourteenth Amendment, where the Thirteenth, Fourteenth Amendment alt- altered the Federal balance with reference to those. That's not what's involved here. Uh,
8: well, I understand that the Fourteenth Amendment has special significance for purposes of state sovereign immunity. I've never known the court to say that the Fourteenth Amendment has special significance for purposes of Gregory against Ashcroft. I don't. I don't think that that is a. a
4: if, if, uh, for purposes of, uh, will you assume with me? And I may be the only one who thinks this, but I think when you use words like any entity or the word any, that there's an implicit scope. And since I think there's an implicit scope, I'm trying to define that scope. So I, I don't want to he- — I, I mean, it's not going to help me for you to say, well, it's clear, because I don't think it's clear. But at that point, I now want to, to find out whether — explore what you said, that, well, uh, if we did apply this to the states and their municipalities, All we would really be doing is targeting laws. Now, I did my best to pose some questions along those lines, but I was met with the answer, which strikes me as a pretty good answer. There's just no way to do what you're suggesting. It's going to be a nightmare. Justice Scalia suggested one reason it was a nightmare. And, And I'd add that in the case of private companies, this statute is designed to give the private company the right to enter or the right to quit. But once you apply it to a municipal entity, it has the right to enter, but it could never quit. Now, that would be bizarre. No, so uh, given the, 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 the sovereign immunity, you know, the sovereign authority, all, all the things we've been talking about in general, given the difficulty of drawing a line, which seems virtually impossible, very hard, and given the one-way ratchet I just described, it can't be that Congress intended to include municipal entities within the scope of the word any entity? Uh, what, what is your — that's — I'm trying to get to the merits. Yeah, what's your response
8: to that? Yes. This? I don't agree that there's a one-way ratchet at all, Justice Breyer. I think the, the, the purpose of 253A is to eliminate barriers to entry. It's not to force anyone, private or governmental, to go into the telecommunications business or stay in the telecommunications business. And if a, if a local government unit decides of its own accord to enter, and then decides of its own accord to leave, it is not prohibited anything.
6: And the state, the state cannot tell it not to enter.
8: The state cannot tell it not
6: to enter by a targeted, non-competitively neutral Understand, provision. why does it matter whether it's targeted or not? I suppose it lists, uh, uh, counties can enter into the following commercial businesses. It lists, uh, seven or eight, does not list telecommunications.
8: It, the reason why it 's targeted, targeted is what i 'm using to embrace the notions stated in two hundred and fifty three b which preserves an enormous realm of regulatory authority to the states. States may enact competitively neutral regulations that satisfy certain other criteria, and that 's an important part of this picture because if you had two hundred and fifty three a in isolation that would that would certainly be draconian that would certainly be a well what, what's your answer to the hypothetical I give you is that targeted or not Well I think that would be if it if it specified certain commercial activities but not others I think that would be a difficult question the question would be is that a gerrymander Well I asked it I I'm, Well the question would the question would be a 253b question for the FTC and the first FCC in the first instance Well it had nothing to do with
6: whether it's competitively neutral it's competitively neutral nobody can enter uh, except these fields I if mean, it
8: if it were a gerrymander designed to keep really just designed to keep the entities out of telecommunications, it would be unacceptable.
6: So we're going to have to get into uh, inquiring into uh, whether uh, state legislatures, uh, well, uh, of course, of course they didn't want it. It was designed to keep them out of telecommunications. Because it said these are the only fields you can get into. That's, that's If your question is whether it was designed to keep them out of telecommunications, the answer is unquestionably yes. This, this I agree. But, but, but you say it's okay if they not only keep them out of telecommunications, but they keep them out of a lot of other stuff as well. Does that make it okay?
8: This is the question that would have to come up when the FCC applied 253B, but, for well, public or private, F- 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 why, F- why public interp- or private.
0: Why should we interpret a statute
8: in that awkward way? that the FCC has to make this kind of factual inquiry in every case. I think the FCC is in that business with respect to private entities anyway. What, what the is the
6: factual? To- I don't even understand what the factual inquiry is. What is it? Well, the, the inquiry FCC
8: would, would be looking for. The inquiry, it's 253B, says so states may enact measures that are competitively neutral and necessary to promote certain public objectives. That's a savings clause. It's so the not- FCC
6: is going to decide what is necessary to promote... That's Missouri's
8: public ob- that is objective? the business. That is unquestionably the business Congress put the FCC in with respect to private entities. There is no disagreement about that.
4: All right, I see the answer to that part, which is you're saying they have to do it anyway, and I understand that. whether I'm not sure I agree, but I understand. Uh, what about the part that it's a one-way rapture? And there I think that local governments, unlike local private businesses, act through regulation, at least normally. And so the statute talks about a requirement, a local requirement or a local regulation, and therefore a state, State A, that does not permit its municipalities to go into the business, then passes a statute that does permit it, then the local council passes a regulation that says we'll do it which is now a requirement, and when either tries to repeal either, they run right straight into your — to this statute forbidding it as you interpret it. And now Um, that's why I say it's a one-way ratchet in respect to municipalities, but not a one-way ratchet in respect to private
8: businesses. The reason it's not a one-way ratchet, Justice Breyer, I think, turns on the word prohibit. This is in the statute 253A, says state and local regulations that prohibit the entry. If if I decide not to go skiing, I've not prohibited myself from going skiing. I've simply made a decision not to do something. If a local government decides not to enter the telecommunications business, it hasn't prohibited itself. It simply made a decision. The state could not repeal the statute. The state could not repeal the statute unless we're part of a competitively neutral reorganization of local government or something like that, then it could repeal it. But it couldn't enter a targeted repeal of it without running afoul. It seems to me without why, running why afoul. Why would Congress design such a strange system where,
6: where where the municipality can get in and then get out, but the state can't allow the municipality to get in and then decide, no, we want to allow them to get out? I, I, want, I
8: It's just, it's just I, bizarre. I think it applies. I think for these purposes, municipal corporations and – um, private corporations are simply on a par as of course they were for large parts of our history that's why municipalities don't have many immunities and congress for these purposes simply saw municipal corporations as another source implicitly saw municipal in the words any entity implicit in that sense in the, clean, in, the in the in the ordinary meaning of those words just so why i understand you a, a state
6: can uh, uh, can grant certain powers to municipalities does not have to grant them the power to enter into into telecommunications activity, right?
8: Yes. Yes, that's right.
6: Does not have to grant them that
8: power. Well, the, the restraint is the competitively neutral language, which will ordinarily allow municipalities to say, to states to say, look, here's what you can do and here's what you can't do, right. provided they aren't acting in a way that is competitively non-neutral with respect to telecommunications.
6: Right. But once they have let them get into telecommunications it is uh it is only the municipality that can decide to get out of it.
8: No, the State could repeal the authority if it does it again in a competitively neutral way. If a State decided, for example, to abolish all units of local government, or if a state decided to say, okay, we are assigning special functions to municipality. Yeah, but of local but government. the municipality itself can
6: say we are going to get out of telecommunications. Yes. The State cannot say no no municipality shall
9: do telecommunications.
8: That is right. The municipality can decide for itself because then it is not prohibiting anyone from doing anything it's simply making a decision
9: mr strauss may i go back and ask a variant on justice prior's question assuming that there is some implicit limitation on on the scope of any entity and it relates to what if i have my facts straight is the is the drafting history in this case and i'd like you to tell me whether i have got the facts straight because i didn't look them up myself i just got this out of the briefs and if so what you think the significance is as I understand it, at least the Senate version of the original bill had a provision in it, uh, that affirmative expressly, uh, provided that any existing utility, whatever its, uh, object of service, could go into the telecommunications business. Uh, and this, as, as you point out at one point in your brief, this would be, this would be good for your argument because a lot of those utilities are municipal, uh, u- utilities. Um, as I understand it, in the, in the conference committee, that language, uh, was in fact removed entirely. And subsequent to its removal, in the conference committee report, there were references to any private entity being able to go into the telecommunications business, but not the old pre-conference committee references uh to to uh to any any public as well as private entity. That suggests to me the, the, the combination of the drafting change uh and the conference committee report that the implicit scope they were getting at was an implicit scope that says any entity is a reference to private, not public. Are my facts straight? And if so, what, what's your response to that argument?
8: Uh, two points, uh, Justice Souter. First, I think it is common ground that Congress did envision utilities as among the any entities. And the, the likely reason Congress didn't spell that out was that it was already included in the notion any entity, and Congress didn't want to begin spelling out. So you say and,
9: and, the, the excision was a redundancy excision.
8: Yes, that's right. And I think there is no dispute that then, not only that utilities are among entities, but that Congress really saw utilities as a primary source of, of competition.
9: Okay. The answer to that, I think, is, uh, in, in part a response to something in your brief. You mentioned that the original House and the original Senate reports, uh, were speaking, uh, among others expressly of, of public entities. As I understand it, uh, and again, I didn't look myself. I just got this from, from one of the briefs. As I understand it, the conference committee report, after this excision, which is arguably just a redundancy excision, the conference committee report started using the adjective uh, private entities rather than public entities as being subject to this kind of universal preemption. Uh, doesn't that nix the theory that it was merely a redundancy excision?
8: The conference committee report, I believe, Justice Souter, used the word private to describe in describing the um, uh, sort of competition it believed would be brought about. That passage from the conference committee report was then incorporated almost verbatim in the preamble to the statute, but the word private was left out when it was transferred to the statute. So that the word private that does occur prominently in the conference committee report, I agree with that, dropped out of the statute which simply talks about encouraging.
9: Okay, what we're left with it seems to me uh is is at least maybe let's call it tension between the conference committee report and the preamble language which was then inserted. And isn't that a perfect situation to provide uh, to 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 apply a gregory kind of rule saying when we're not sure what they meant we want them to spell it out more clearly uh before we conclude uh that they in effect are, are limiting the, the, the power of a of a State to determine what its municipalities can do. Isn't this a good situation for Gregory rule?
8: I think the ambiguity to which Gregory refers and I don't think I mean I think it is clear the ambiguity to which Gregory refers is ambiguity in the statute. I I, I
9: think so too. And, and, and maybe what I am saying is uh we, we, we ought to, at least those of us who would look into the, the, the legislative history as I would, uh, maybe ought to take advantage of a slightly broader Gregory rule.
8: Um, well, the the case I think would stand in the way more than any other perhaps, well, many would, I think, but the clearest example I can think of is Yeske, where the court the question in Yeski was whether the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, applied to um, inmates of state prisons. Um, the Court assumed that prisons were special and that the Gregory Rule applied to legislation that assertedly reached prisons. Um, the Court also assumed that Congress never specifically contemplated that prison inmates would be covered. And it said, nonetheless, unanimously, that if the language language is something like state instrumentalities, if the language included prisons, Gregory was satisfied.
9: Isn't the difference, though, and I, 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 I see your argument, but isn't the difference that in that case, we didn't have anything in the history either of the drafting uh, or of the legislative consideration of the statute that suggested uh, that there really was an, an argument each way as as to whether they they were they were intending to to cover the, the prisoners. They simply didn't deal with with that situation at all, uh, and they used absolute kind of, of language. Here, there is an argument to be made because the drafting changed. The drafting certainly could have significance for, for public utilities. There is a tension between the, the conference committee report and the preamble. In other words, we've, we've got a, a question sort of affirmative, re, affirmatively raised by the history of the drafting and enactment of the statute, whereas there was simply silence, uh, in the ESCII situation.
8: Uh, Justice Souter, I guess the difficulty I'd have with that Approach in general would be it has to be common for there to be this sort of uncertainty in legislative history, with faints in a certain direction and withdrawals for reasons that are difficult to.
9: Well, I, I grant out. you that, but when when the when the issue relates to the kind of state sovereignty issue that that Gregory addresses, <laughs> that's a good reason for having a Gregory rule.
8: Well, but as to the legislative history, I think that sort of uncertainty is going to be easy to. Generate, and what we do have here, in addition to any entity, what we do have here, not just in the legislative history, but on the face of the statute, is, as I said, agreement, I think, all around that utilities are prominent among the entities that Congress envisioned. I think that's
2: completely- Would you also say that the legislative history makes it pretty clear that there's a distinction in meaning between the term private entity on the one hand and the term entity on the other hand, and the statute used the term
4: entity?
8: Well, that's true, Justice Stevens. Of course, they could have said private entity had they meant that. That's not, I mean, our argument is any entity means any entity. So what was is, is the
4: argument for putting the, leaving this up to the Commission? That is, can it be done? Because I can see a complex interpretation that may be workable that you're suggesting. And it may be helpful competitively, frankly. And I also can see some good arguments against assuming Congress intended that complex interpretation. But under those circumstances, maybe Congress purposely leaves it somewhat ambiguous, permitting the Commission to go one way or the other, and although you've lost it in the Commission so far, maybe in the future the Commission would say, well, uh, we think uh, we want to chevronize this, in other
8: words. I think, I think, that, think, about I think that? that is the scheme, although not under 253A. I, what the Commission, we know the Commission's views are unusual clarity here what the commission said is we think we've got to say the statute is not preempted but as far as the purposes of the of the act go this is a terrible state law All the purposes the State wants to be accomplished can be accomplished in less restrictive ways. The Commission has said that over and over again as emphatically as it can. And the way it has chevronized the Justice Breyer, to use your term, is by saying that these, that municipalities are entities, but that these admittedly somewhat difficult issues about what special problems do municipalities pose, those should be handled under 253B, which is what Congress had in mind. That of course, the states can enact laws so that there can be licensing requirements and basic fitness requirements and various kinds. You of say circula- you
6: say that that's unambiguous. I, 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 I oh, could fit- I could understand that there's no ambiguity if you simply say any entity means any entity, but but to say that the statute, but but you're not willing to say that it says that. You're not willing to say that that the state cannot prohibit its. Uh, its counties from entering into commercial activities. That would certainly have the effect, which is all this requires, have the effect of prohibiting the ability of counties to provide interstate or intrastate telecommunication You're not willing to say that. You, you, in, you insist that we derive this very subtle uh, distinction between the state initially granting it and then taking it away, the county taking it away itself. I don't think that that is unambiguously within the statute at all. What what the unambiguous choices are, are that the states are not included or that the states are included, and that means that, that the states cannot exclude counties or, for that matter, even departments of the state government itself from entering into the telecommunications business. That would be unambiguous. But if you're not willing to embrace that, it seems to me you are arguing that the statute is ambiguous.
8: As, as to 253A, Justice Glee, I am absolutely embracing that. I am absolutely embracing the notion, and maybe I disagree with Justice Breyer about this, that any entity means any entity, and I will go down the line with that. The reason that doesn't lead to absurd results like the maverick governor entering the telecommunications business against the will of the legislature is because of 253 B. Now, 253 B is filled with ambiguities and complexities and and problems that the uh, Commission will have to take the first crack at.
6: You, you, you can't use B to explain A and then say, oh, yeah, B is ambiguous. Right. If you're using an ambiguous B to
8: explain A, A itself is ambiguous. B does not explain A. A has a very clear, I agree with you, Justice Scalia, it has a very clear meaning. Any entity means any entity. And if it, it would trivialize Gregory to say that Congress has to say, and we mean any entity whatsoever. Congress has to come up with a a definition. Any entity means any entity. In answer to the charge that that produces absurd results, I say no. Congress left a broad scope for state regulation, broad enough not only to deal with absurdities, but broad enough so that these claims about incursions on state sovereignty are, I think, grossly overstated. I mean, let me draw the comparison to Gregory directly. In Gregory, Congress passed... An anti-discrimination law, an age discrimination law, the claim was that that law required states to give their judges, their judges life tenure, a major structural issue. And the court said, well, if they'd stopped at employees, maybe they would be giving judges life tenure, but they said employees at the policy making level, and that's just too ambiguous for us to think Congress was doing such a dramatic thing to the structure of state government. This is nothing like that. This this statute simply says that among the universe of entrants that we want in this robust, wide-open, newly competitive field of telecommunications, if municipal corporations, true to their roots as corporations, want to get into this business, the states can't keep them out except if they're doing the kinds of regulation that states can reasonably do to private and public corporations alike. That seems to me not only a coherent reading of the statute, not only one that is consistent with what everyone agrees is the very dramatic pro-competitive turn that the 1996 Telecommunications Act took, but also one that really is not a significant incursion on state sovereignty, certainly not an unprecedented incursion on state sovereignty. When decisions of this Court have held municipalities liable under the antitrust laws, notwithstanding state efforts to immunize them, liable for damages, notwithstanding state's efforts to immunize them, have withdrawn from – municipal governments, states' efforts to grant them sovereign immunity against state claims in state court. Has Congress has nothing to do that. with their
6: authorities, all of those instances you mentioned.
8: That has nothing to do with their authority. I'm sorry, Justice Scalia, with their
6: authority under state laws.
8: Oh, well, it has to, in a sense, uh, In a, I agree with you, Justice Scalia, it doesn't. In a sense, those are more intrusive because what we have here are local government bodies who say, we want to do this in order to serve the needs of our citizens. We don't have a situation in which Congress is thwarting the will of both the states and the localities. We have a situation in which localities want to do this, in some cases desperately want to do this. Um, Believe that Congress, when it said any entity shall be free from barriers, believe that Congress gave them the power to do it, subject, of course, to reasonable regulation by the state, um, only to find... That Gregory against Ashcroft, the decision that is supposedly designed to ensure that decision, that government decisions are made at a level responsive to the people, Gregory against Ashcroft is thrown up as an obstacle to their doing what they think is needed to serve their citizens' interests. Um, and given what seems to me to be the unambiguous language of Section 253A and the very limited, circumscribed, focused nature of uh, what Congress has done in this circumstance, it seems to me to be an unwarranted conclusion for the uh for the Commission to reach. If the Court has no further questions. Thank you, Mr. Strauss. Uh, Mr.
0: Feldman, you have two minutes remaining. <clears throat>
1: um, I would like to uh, uh contrast this case with the Yeske case which came up during Mr. Strauss's argument. In the Yeske case, the Americans with Disabilities Act referred to uh public entities, I think, and then it defined them as including any department of the State. Once con- that meant that in that act, Congress had specifically considered that it was going to intrude deeply, as Justice Scalia said, in state government, and it had made the decisions about how to do it. And the whole, in fact, Title II of the act is designed to, 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 to tailor that exactly how Congress wanted to. In this statute, there is no indication that Congress crossed that initial uh, uh, dividing line and Well, wanted-
4: Mr. Strauss points to subsection B of the statute as indicating. Congress did contemplate giving
3: some leeway.
1: Yes, Congress did contemplate giving some leeway to the states when it was competitively neutral. But the question of what competitive neutrality means in this context is not an easy one. And and I'd like to add that if congress had had to take the do what it did in yeski and, and and uh decide yes we do want this to apply to the states it might have occurred to congress that they're going to have to think about exactly what that means applying a statute like this to state governments that grant their political subdivisions different kinds of powers in different kinds of ways congress didn't uh never made that first choice that it consciously wanted to intrude on uh state go- state sovereignty the way uh, uh, the Eighth Circuit held, and therefore it never answered those other questions.
7: What um, is the rationale for saying municipal utility, wholly owned electric company, wholly owned by the city? That's okay. That doesn't matter, the state can't stop that from going into the telecommunications. But it can stop the municipal corporation.
1: Well, I mean, that isn't an issue in this case. But the FCC's rationale is that insofar as under State law, you have a a, a thing that is treated just like a private corporation. It's it's an entity. That's exactly who Congress was clearly and, and directly and most importantly targeting this law at. It's, it's where the um, – if it's a municipally-owned utility that is really treated like the political subdivision of the state, as they are in Missouri, then that would be different because that would raise these other questions, and Congress had never made the decision that it wants to intrude on uh, – really in an unprecedented way on the authority of the political subdivision uh, states decide to give uh,
0: – Thank you, Mr. Feldman. The case is
7: – The Honorable Court is now adjourned until tomorrow at 10 o'clock.